Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas y Caballeros. Hola, soy Sergio Maravilla Martínez, esto es LiveTheRing.com Hola, soy Saúl El Canelo Álvarez y estás en LiveTheRing.com Este que esto tocará es el renuente, escúchame por LiveTheRing.com Hey, how's it going guys? It's Victor Ortiz at LiveTheRing.com So take care guys. How you doing? You're with Abner Mares and you're right here with Leave It In The Ring Radio. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another show here of Leaving the Ring Radio. I'm your host, David Joinis, with my co-host, Amilcar. What's going on, brother? How are you doing, man? Really well, Dave. Um, can't complain. Busy day today. A lot of podcasting on the line today, and uh, looking forward to today's show. Hardest working man in the boxing community right now, I could say. I think that's uh, yeah. to be labeled. Be on, we should make a T-shirt that says that. Hard, artist working podcast uh, commentator for boxing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're trying to do our thing here on the radio network, man. You know, Monday, Absolutely. Monday, so. Well, we didn't make it yesterday uh, just because I got stuck at work and my shoulder's been killing me. Right now, I actually had to take some painkillers uh, to inflame it. Um, it's been pretty bad for the last couple of days. And then plus two, you know, life kicks in, a lot of things come up and stuff. But um, so what we're doing here today, guys, hopefully we can get some folks jumping on here to uh, jump into the comment room here and let me know if my mic is doing better. Is it OK? Am I too loud? Are we back to that same situation? What is the deal? Um, anyways, uh, going uh, back with the schedule. Let's see who we got here. Going back with the schedule, we got a lot of stuff here to talk about, okay? So for this first uh, two hours of Leave the Ring, we're going to try to go two hours. I, I doubt we'll get that far. Uh, but for the first uh, hour or so, we're going to talk about the uh, weekend results and then talk about our picks that are coming up and top stories or anything you guys want to call in and talk about with us here on uh, Leave the Ring. You certainly can. The number's right there up on the top, 347-460-1773. Let's talk Boxing. Then at 5 p.m. today, later on today, we're going to have Espinoza, uh, Frank Espinoza, who is the manager of uh, Oscar Valdez. Uh, unfortunately, I'll be conducting the interview alone because my partner's got some other commitments he's got to, you know, move along and go do and stuff. It's not a big deal, though. It's all good. I'll forgive you this time in my car. Next time, I won't forgive you. I don't think the, okay. the listeners will forgive you either. But, uh, <laughs> but if it's at 8 p.m. Eastern, Dave, I, I can do that one. Um I just can't do anything before that because of the commitment I told you about. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, don't want to pull you away from that. And and you know what? It's really not even because I even had a text, uh, uh, you know, uh, Espinoza's and I told him like, hey, we're going to have to do it, you know, just today because <clears throat> I was still stuck at work. I was in a lot of pain, got home, had to take medication and I was out like a light. Uh, around, I don't know, by 8 o'clock, I think. I think I was done. I don't even remember. I just woke up at midnight, like, looking around, uh, trying to, you know, uh, make sure that I see some, some, you know, something that I can remember that I know where I'm at, you know? Not like in a drunken state. You ever done that? Pass out and then wake up and you're like, where am, am I home? Where am I? You know? <laughs> For a while. 
<laughs> Same here, man. You know, what a shitty feeling those times were. You know, when you woke up, you're like, you know, you you remember going to the club, you remember being there with your boys, you remember popping bottles and everything, and then the next day, everything was like a complete blank, and then when you see your friends, everybody's talking about how much of a good time everybody had, and then they go, bro, you were off the hook that night, and you're just like, everything's racing through your mind, because you're like, well, what the fuck did I do? You yeah, know? Hopefully you wrapped it up, Dave. Hopefully you wrapped it up. <laughs> I hope so too, man. Um, okay, man, so let's get down to this past week in fights. Obviously, we'll talk about... I would have to believe was the KO of the year uh, with uh, Oscar Valdez getting that beautiful, beautiful straight, I mean, not straight, a curved left hook that landed on the chin of uh, Barchette. We'll talk about that. But let's talk about earlier on Saturday morning on the zone, you had Josh Kelly finally stepping up, getting the big test, getting in there with David Avanesian. Um, I thought it was going to be, I, I knew this was going to be a major, major test for him. I knew for sure that um, it wasn't going to be easy. I just didn't know how much was left into David. I I, I had my questions there, but I knew it wasn't going to be easy. Um, And you know what? For the first two, three rounds, Emil Carr, it started to look like it was Josh Kelly. Here's a kid that has, you know, some real skills there. He's flashy. He's quick. uh, He knows how to throw punches from different angles. But what we found out, on Saturday was that when you apply the right pressure and you don't let him tee off and you crowd some of those punches, he folds a little bit. And I especially think after the cut, his bleeding, it it immediately started changing for Cali. What did you think? Well, look, we knew that Avenetian was a tough guy and uh, a good boxer. And, you know, anyone who's familiar with Armenians knows that it's a tough, tough people, whether they're in Australia (laughs) like uh, Vic Darchinian, whether they're in Glendale, California, closer to where you are, Dave. Right. Or whether they're in Russia, um, like, like uh, uh, you know, uh, David Avenetian, who's now relocated to the U.K. These are tough people, uh, tough country, tough history, uh, great at the fighting sports. You know, they see them in MMA as well. And the question about Kelly was never about his boxing skills. Uh, right. The question was never about his speed, his timing. All of that looked fantastic for four rounds. It really looked. It really did. It really did. I mean, he was throwing the. Yeah, he was throwing the uppercut. His legs were working. He was moving. He was picking his shots. Um, yeah. He was actually using his jab a lot more than I had seen him of late. But David Avenesian was just a guy that was going to be res- relentless. And we knew that. We knew that he was going to come forward. Uh, and you know what? As much. You could do all the training and all the sparring possible, but it doesn't count until fight night because you don't know if it's going to work the game plan. And uh, kudos for um, for Adam Booth to throw in the towel and realize that his young fighter, his prospect kid here, he's getting a real, real big yeah. beatdown. It could have went further and it could have got worse for the kid. Yeah, they clearly needed to save him uh, for another day, uh, which is what they did. And I know we're going to talk about this fight later, but it's something that I wish that uh, Burchell's corner had done. Um, right. No, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking the same thing when that happened. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, Adam Booth is a consummate professional, very high-level guy in boxing, uh, super high boxing IQ. I've always been impressed with his training. I first <laughs> became familiar with him back when he was training uh, David Hay. David Hay, uh, exactly. Yeah, as, as, a, as a cruiserweight. 
and you know it it he the, he looked prepared josh kelly from a technical standpoint he was totally co- uh, prepared he was um, unfortunately what you cannot really replicate in the gym is what david abonetian was doing as we entered the mid to late rounds and just kind of the dog relentless uh pressure um that that he brought and just the unwillingness to give up and it, it's look Avenition also is a skilled guy. Like he did what he needed to do in terms of keeping it close, right? Always on the front foot, uh, picking his shots appropriately. And look, he wore down Josh Kelly round after round. He beat him up, and he stopped him. And it, it's all, all, all. You know, you got to give the guy his due. He, he did a great job. David Avenition did. You know. <clears throat> The thing that, like, I, everything you said, I have to agree with you on about Josh Kelly. You know, he is the real deal when you see him uh, letting the hands go. Uh, the the fundamentals are there. But what you practice in, in the gym is sometimes difficult. I mean, you could translate that in a fight night. But the one thing you cannot be prepared for is mentalness the mental stability of being in there with a guy that's going to be on top of you uh left and right uh david didn't allow him to breathe uh, david kept putting on that pressure as easy as a target that he was being hit by josh by josh Kelly's uh combinations he would shake him off and just keep going forward i think mentally that played with the kid a little bit there but also i think the blood as well uh i, I think it messed up a little bit of his his game there milkar i don't know what you guys think in the chat room but i definitely think that that had a big play of his mental state of him kind of crumbling apart seeing the blood you know you're absolutely right dave and that's i should have been more specific that's really what i was alluding to right in terms of not going to really be able to replicate that in sparring or in the gym Right. I mean, replicate, you get in a really bad cut, you seeing your own blood, you tasting your own blood, and a guy just unrelenting, walking you down round after round, throwing crisp, short, precise shots, <laughs> and doesn't really give you an opportunity to breathe, let, let right. alone defend yourself uh, with, a, with a really bad cut. So, right. again... All, all credit to David uh, Avenition, and as Run DM, PMC was saying, I almost said Run DMC, force a habit. Uh, <laughs> he's right. Armenia. I was alluding to this earlier. Like Armenians are really tough people. Like it's part of their culture. It's a country that survived genocide under the Ottoman Empire. It actually was a Holocaust, and they are a fighting people. They're in MMA. They're in boxing. Run PMC says in the chat, Armenia is a great country for Olympic lifting as well. Uh, their system really focuses on the Olympic sports. It absolutely does. It it absolutely does. And he's a Russian Armenian. So mm. if we think that Armenians in Glendale are, are tough, uh, he's a Russian Armenian. And I think that uh, goes without saying uh, their toughness. So, um, yeah, all, again, all credit to David Avenition. Yeah, big time here. Just really quick, want to say what's up to everybody in the chat room. Uh, uh, let's go. Nado, que paso, brother? Ron, how you doing? Chicano Prophet. G Funky's in the house. D Style is in the house. They got a great show uh, after us. Uh, make sure you guys tune into that show. Uh, we got Outlaw. Um, who else do we got in here? Um, 
Santillo Media, great work you've been doing, putting in a lot of work out there, man. Much appreciated those videos that you're throwing up there on your on your channel and also Absolutely. on uh, ACP's uh, channel as well and stuff. Um, you know, going back with Josh Kelly, and Alba said, "Look, uh, I just don't think uh, Josh Kelly is just is that that good." Bottom line is with uh, Alba said, "Hi, Paul, how you doing, brother?" Um, and you know what? <clears throat> I think he is good outlaw. I just think we needed to find out how would he behave? How would he act under real pressure? You know, because the guys that, you know, a lot of prospects are being lined up with are guys are supposed to be. This was supposed to be, could we move him now closer to a title shot? Could we get him into the talks of fighting maybe one of the top 15 welterweights out there? Um, those were the answers that not just the fans wanted to see and hear, Visually, visually see, but his promoters as well. They wanted to see that happen. And, and guess what? He didn't pass the test. He didn't pass the test. And, you know, when you start calling yourself pretty boy, <laughs> this is pretty boy Josh Kelly, people are going to automatically start remembering the name pretty boy Floyd, right? Right. And you want to talk a guy who was dealing with toughness, <clears throat> pretty, boy, pretty boy was that guy. You know, pretty boy right. uh, had to deal with Renato Hernandez who's a tough fucking customer, right? Yep. He with Angel, uh, Angel Mar uh, Manfredi, obviously. Um, you go through the list, obviously, there was a Castillo fight twice. Uh, there's Philip Endu. You know, I could go on and on about the, the tough guys that that uh, Josh Kelly, had, uh, sorry, uh, Floyd had to fight. He, even Jesus Chavez or, or Philip Endu, like, or, or Victoriano Sosa, these were tough dudes on Pretty Boy's record. That is what Josh Kelly couldn't do on Saturday night. Right. That's what he could do. Uh, he couldn't use that pretty boy style, that pre precise punching, you know, that that uh, ho a hooking, a, a lead hook, a lead uppercut, uppercut off the jab type precise style. He couldn't use it to defend himself from the power punching pressure of a guy like David at Venetian. You know, the thing that when you think about that, I love what you're saying and stuff, you know, I complete, I completely agree with you. You know, the thing, though, is that what Josh Kelly and like even Pretty Boy Floyd were, were really the opposite of uh, if you want to look at time slots. OK, and what I mean by that is that Josh Kelly was trying to replicate the Floyd of a later past, okay? And also, like, even try to replicate, like, Roy Jones Jr. Uh, with the flashy punches, uh, showing that he's well-skilled, but without the proven record. Whereas, like, Pretty Boy Floyd, not Money Floyd, but Pretty Boy Floyd, you know, he didn't really go into the flashy punches. He was really a very one, two, three puncher, and he mastered that with speed, accuracy, and footwork, excuse me, before he went on and start trying new things, you know, uh, Floyd has always been a very di a, a disciplined guy, um, and and also too in tracks in the track record of of building Floyd, his resume, even in the same amount of Josh Kelly, was far more stacked and proven before Josh Kelly and a lot of these prospects before they get in the ring with somebody of worth, and you know. David Amnesian shouldn't have been a major problem for a guy that had that amount of skill level that Josh Kelly brought to the table. But do you know what? When you put him in, I've said this numerous times for years, when you put in guys that are overly skilled and you put them in with guys that they're easily uh, uh, going to be putting away and they eventually start fighting 
to that level that they're used to. So the level that he was supposed to pick up against David, he wasn't able to do it because of the level of oppositions he's been used to and fed and eaten off of. So, yeah. Look, you know, I David has been on my radar for a while. Um, and I know he's been on, on yours as well, uh, at least to the Shane Mosley fight, if not before. Right. Right. And you're, you're talking about a really tough guy. Uh you know, he ended up losing to Peterson, obviously. <laughs> right. He rebuilt, uh, you know, even after the Kavalishkis loss, when he went into the Lions' den in Bilbao, in uh, Basque country, in, in north northwestern Spain, in front of like 12,000 Basque, and absolutely destroyed uh, Kerman Lagara, uh, uh, Lejaraga, sorry, who was undefeated at the time, and then went back and did it again. You yep. know? Yeah. Uh, He's familiar with going into the lion's den. So if he's gone in against Mosley and and did what he did, right? And yep. then had to build himself up again after the Kabalishkis defeat, where he, he suffered a technical knockout, and go into that lion's den against a highly rated uh, Basque fighter and do what he did. Right. You know, all due respect to Josh Kelly, he should have really been doing his best to prepare for a guy... I like that. And you know what? Maybe I think they did, though. A milk car. I mean, honestly, I think they did come best prepared. They had a good game plan, which is move, keep right. boxing. But here's the thing is that what they don't teach you is that durability of, you know what, panic mode. You know, well, when this, a fighter panics, how to, how to deal with it, you know. Um, I remember going to the wild card and sitting there and watching certain trainers train their guys. But one thing that Freddie Roach used to do with his guys was make them spin in a circle in the middle of the ring and then have them spar, you know, so that there was some distort there in their in their eye and their head and everything, you know. So there are methods of training guys. But at the end of the day, you know, what a gatekeeper does is he actually pulls out what type of a soul you carry in the ring. And with this case on Saturday night, Josh Kelly's soul was pulled out and we got to see who he was really all about. We've said this numerous times on Leaving the Ring. The ring is a truth teller. It's going to tell us whether or not you can exceed or if you're going to have a step back. You're right, Dave. And this is what I was going to say, though, hmm. right? Which is that Kelly was 10-0. and 0. Right. Sometimes these guys just get moved too quick and maybe he just needed more experience, more pro fights under his belt. Because again, there are things that you can replicate in sparring or in the gym, things that you can kind of prepare for. And then there's things that you really need pro fight experience to kind of harden you for, you know, steel sharpen steel, as the old saying goes. And regardless of what you think about David Avenition, this is a guy who beat Shane Mosley, right? It's a guy who was 26, uh, had 26 wins, right? 14 KOs going into right. this fight. And Kelly was a 10-0 fighter, right? You, right. Personally, I think that they probably moved him too soon, but I, I don't I know what I think what they did, I think what they thought was that everything that you mentioned about David Amnesian was that he's a wear and tear, which I thought there's wear and tear on the guy. Um, he's not, Think they probably thought he's not going to be as aggressive and Josh Kelly, too, is a very big welterweight, and that he was going to be able to hold him off with these flashy skills that he has presented in the past, you know. But, you know, David Amnesian was like, I'm old school, I'm throwback, bro. None of that's going to impress me. I'm here for a fight. 
I'm here in your side of town. I'm here to knowing that I'm not going to get this win with the judges. I'm here to take away what you have to offer. And guess what? He didn't go in. He didn't come in from the back door. He came in through the front door, and he and he took everything that he that he showed up for. Well, he was like uh, the notorious B.I.G. kicking in the front door, <laughs> waving the four four. Please, Biggie, yeah. don't hit me no more. <laughs> hit me no more, bro. That's, that's pretty much what he was doing. That's yeah. That's pretty much. That's what Adam Booth saw. Was like, you know what? Please don't hit him more. Let's throw in the towel. And I thought it was a great call. Save the kid for another day. Allow him to go back and kind of look at the tape and see his mistakes. Um, he was doing really well, but I truly believe that that cut had a lot to do with it. Um, Rum put out here. He said, "Do y'all think that they are rushing? They are rushing prospects, taunted prospects." Uh, they catch them out before they lose. It seems like some promoters either take lack confidence in their fighters or just or just for a money grab. Hmm. It may maybe you know people are like, do I really want to invest this in this guy long term if he doesn't beat David Avenition? Let's just roll the dice and see where it goes now. Because you know, yeah. I don't I don't want to invest in long term if he can't pass this stage at this particular time. That, I can kind of see that with certain managers or, or promotional teams. You know, I remember one time speaking to Joe Goosen, and Joe Goosen, we were talking about prospects and, you know, some prospects getting – and I think this was in line of the time when Golden Boy had a lot of prospects and they were putting him in with some really tough matches and it was always a hit and miss. And Joe Goosen was like, look, uh, there's got to come a time – that you got to put your fighter in there to see if he's going to sink or he's going to swim. There's no, there's really no um, perfect uh, game plan or 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 uh, ingredient of getting your prospect into now contender and then into champion level. Okay, there's there's got to just be a point where you have to gamble that and do that. We know that uh, Top Rank has done that. Plenty of times, you know, when they've had Jose Benavides uh, Jr. for quite some time, he was putting him in with a lot of soft touches. They eventually said, you know what, F it. We got to put him in there with somebody tough. Uh, same thing with Gabriel Flores Jr., uh, which we'll get into and talk about in a minute here. Um, it's the same situation with Valle. They said, hey, look, we, this is a either sink or swim type of deal for them. So it's like there's it's there's no formula. That's what I was doing. There's no real formula of figuring out what do we do with these prospects. It's just one of those you got to do. You got to throw them in there eventually. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much uh, what it seems like. And you know it's now sink or swim. I mean they've been doing this in certain places for a while. I mean right. any, anyone who follows Japanese boxing knows that they don't get any soft touches. Oh, they don't, bro. They really, really. I mean, you could see some four rounders, six rounders, and they're all out wars. You know, uh, same thing with Thompson Boxing, which was a disappointing appointment with their uh, main event. But if you look at Thompson Boxing, which comes on every three months, their three, two, one uh, boxing uh, segment series. Great stuff because a lot of their prospects, uh, up and comers, uh, they're really matching them either either very evenly or very tough, you know. So there's like no leeway with those guys as well. And I think it's just a great way. It does give a chance to weed out who we think is not going to be the Escalon at the moment. Doesn't mean they're out of the contingency of talks 
in boxing because let's be honest here. A lot of the guys that actually become more of a household name or guys that have lost in the past. They go back and they learn from this mistake. Josh Kelly, I wouldn't write him off yet because the fact is he's still young. Um, it wasn't like a very terrible stoppage. He was getting, you know, took apart in those late rounds, in those mid rounds, excuse me. Uh, but he could definitely learn from this and, and come back. Or he could just definitely never come back. You know, sometimes fights like that uh, can, can either change a person and you find out who they really are, or it could either change it to be a better fighter. Yeah. And can't really add uh, to it more than that, Dave. Absolutely and not. If you guys want to call in, certainly can. 347-460-1773. Let's talk boxing here on Leaving the Ring. Let's move on to the Showtime card, which we had Adrian Broner's return to... Uh, to get in with uh, Santiago. Uh, why can't I remember Santiago's first name? Help me out here, Milkar. What is his first name? The kid's first name. Shit, man. Jeez. Uh, I just had uh, it right here. You right? put me on the spot like that. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it Giovanni? Giovanni Santiago, undefeated fighter, winning in 15 and 0 at the time. Um, is Adrian Broner back? No, I don't think he's ever been back. To tell you the truth, okay, uh, you know the thing with Adrian Broner is I gotta give him this, man. I think nobody can take this away from Adrian Broner. There's two things: he can sell a fight, and he's never been knocked out. He's been hurt. He's been dropped. Chino Madonna was the only one that really hurt him and dropped him. Um, but other than that, the guy has shown an A-class chin. You know, Giovanni uh, Sogoro went out there and did what I had mentioned on Monday's show, last week's show, um, that here was a guy that went great to the body. Uh, when he cornered you, he's going to let his hands go. He's got a good right hand, and he was strong. He was a big, strong uh, a kid that was going in there, which the weight was shifted to seven pounds above the uh, contract weight, which was 140, went to 147. Still, it didn't affect him. It actually helped him out. He went out there, and he did his job. I thought it was crazy what the judges had it. I don't know what you scored it, but I thought that the kid, uh, 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 Santiago, did enough to win that fight. The first round... Broder didn't even throw a punch, didn't even land a punch um, towards Santiago. I just thought Santiago did the, the, the more fair of work in the fight. Uh, did he kind of like derail off the game plan in the championship rounds? I did think that, but I thought he took the 12th round to seal I the deal. The I thought he took the 12th round, and I think that you could have easily have scored that a 7-5 fight, uh, Giovanni. Um, maybe even wider, to be honest. I mean... It's almost cliche-ish at this point, Dave. But Broder <clears throat> right. Throw enough fucking punches. He just doesn't. No, and, and, he's a one-handed fighter, you know. Yeah, fortunately for him, when he does throw his shots and land them, it's not like they're stunning shots and they're like, "Oh, that was amazing!" You know, when you get up out of your seat and shit, it is like, "Oh, okay, he hit him, no. he touched him, nice." You, you know, know what I mean? those later right. rounds, like the 10th, the 9th, the 10th, even the 11th, you can even talk about the 8th if you wanted to, but like the 9th was the one where it started to heat up a bit for me, where Broner uh, started listening to his trainer. You got to let your hands go. And he went back out there and he started letting, he started putting combos together, which was, was like a, whoa, holy shit. When's the last time we see Adrian Broner put, you know, combos together? And he was landing some of these shots here, but... The thing with Santiago is it wasn't like he shut down. He was punching in between those shots of Adrian Broner, you know. But again, I, you know, is Broner back? I would have to say absolutely not. Back streets, back, all right. No, you're not 
Maybe he's back like that. <laughs> Is he back? He's coming out to the Jeezy song. He's maybe he's back like the Backstreet Boys. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. You know, in his uh, so he got the win. Um, and he immediately, uh, Brian Custer got him to sit, sit across so they can have a post interview. And uh, he was really upset with Steve Farhood's scorecard and even with social media telling everybody to F off. Uh, you know, and the thing was this, was that this this is the second fighter. I don't know if he watched Jojo Diaz's interview, basically making this excuse of why he didn't make weight because of the hotel. They had nothing. Adrian Broner decided to jump on that bandwagon and started using the same excuse, saying that, look, they didn't have anything for me to do. You're locked up in here. I want to just get back to the regular days where, you know, the fans are here and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to go party, pop bottles and have sex and all that works, okay? But my question to now fighters that don't make weight, is this going to be the go excuse? I mean, if that's the case, then, you know, Barchana and Valdez... Uh, they made weight. Uh, Flores Jr. and them, they made weight. Uh, Santiago, guess what? He was in the same place you were at, you know, in, 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 in quarantine. He made weight. I don't. I just don't get this excuse right now. Well, I also don't get why Brian Custer's slobbing the knobs of all these fighters. Like, what's what's with that? You know, he's got this podcast where he's like letting Deontay Wilder get away with saying all kind of outlandish shit. Then he's got uh, uh, Broner not only making excuses, but insulting the man's own colleagues. You know, it, if somebody came in, into my workplace and started insulting one of my colleagues, I wouldn't just stand there and be like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're mean, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a, I mean, that's pretty much the aura that he was giving off, right? Like, I'm sorry, but Steve Farwood's card was professional. It was good. I had no problems with it. You know what I mean? And but and then, like you said, Dave, it was the excuse making as well. Like I don't really understand what 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 Brian Custer's uh, position is and what he's doing. Because then at the other extreme of it, he's like uh, insulting uh, 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 Dominic Brazil after his loss. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I, I just don't get it. I, I was like, Brian Custer, what are you doing, bro? I mean, even if you agreed with what Brian Custer said, I just don't think it's very professional to say that on air right after uh, Brazil loses. You know what I mean? And then you flash forward after the Boroner fight. It's like, oh, yeah, Steve Farwood. Yeah, he fucking sucks. And um, that was a terrible scorecard. And fuck him and fuck you. And Brian Co- uh, Custer's like essentially just there co-signing the whole shit. Right. Anyways, uh, rant over, David. <laughs> Esso put, he said, uh, he put, uh, how did you guys expect him to look after two years off? Was it similar to, it was similar to how Thurman looked against Lopez until he got clipped. Uh, you know what? I didn't expect, honestly, didn't expect anything of Broner. I expected what we've seen of Broner. Uh, I wasn't surprised that he wasn't letting his hands go. He's a, He's been downgraded to a one-handed fighter. Um, what I was not expecting was the judges saw all the rounds for Broner. Like, pretty much Santiago wasn't even there in their opinion or in their eyes uh, a vision. The kid didn't even exist. That was, was kind of surprising, you know. Uh, I think I think myself and a lot of fight fans 
we knew that Santiago wasn't going to get this win on decision. I was hoping it would. I was hoping that the judges judges would do the right thing, uh, which is score the right way, score it fair, uh, you know, have a balance with that. But guess what? They didn't. They obviously were there for Broner and to make sure Broner is uh, going to be solidified as the winner and get another solidified deal to move forward. I tweeted out, uh, Errol Spence, Adrian Broner, folks, I mean... Look at the way Broner was saying, asking uh, Steven Espinoza and Al Heyman, keep me busy. You know, pretty much telling them, like, if you don't keep me busy, I'm going to get back into trouble with the law. Keep me busy. You know, it's also showing signs, talking about he's making 140. I'm going to come for all the bouts. Well, let's get to that road first, right, Emil Carr? You didn't make it the first time. Yeah, two years. That's two years of working on it. Uh, he's not, he's yeah. not getting it. No, he's really bulky. His, he's, he's, he's got a big bulky body for him to even talk about 140 which was really surprising when he was talking about that comeback at 140 I was like oh man I would just stay at 147 I, why why torture your body like that well it's like he gets fucked up at 147 or he gets fucked up at 140 I mean it, the, both options are not very good for him like look I'm sorry right. but not competitive against Ramirez <laughs> he's not competitive against Josh Taylor He's not competitive against, um, fuck, Regent Progress, man. He's not beating any of those dudes at 140. No. Let alone guys that are at 147, Spence, Crawford, Ugas. I could go on. You know, it's just not happening. No, he's just a name now. And I think that that's something of the reality that he hasn't got a hold of, or he has. He does realize that. Uh, after his last fight with Manny Pacquiao, I had tweeted out, I think it's okay and I think it's fair to, it's safe to say that Adrian Broner is the Hector Camacho of our time, of this era. Uh, and what I meant by that, which I got, and a lot of people came at me really upset about that. What I meant by that is that, you know, just like Hector Camacho, he can never get past an A-level fighter. He just couldn't pass that, okay? But he had the mouthpiece to get that fight. He had the mouthpiece to generate interest. People still wanted to see, you know, Camacho get back in there. People are still waiting for somebody to shut Adrian Broner. Adrian Brother brings that that type of vibe. Uh, when I mentioned Hector Camacho, and I see other folks have jumped on that wagon as well, bringing that up, you know? So... Is Adrian Broner still going to be a factor in this sport? Absolutely. He is a big gatekeeper with a big name. Okay. And every fighter at 140, Amokar, tell me if I'm crazy, should be clamoring over this guy to get a shot at him because they could be the they could possibly be the guy to shut his mouth for once. Well, maybe if they're trying to make their welterweight debut, because I don't even think he's going to beat anybody at, at uh I mean, I don't think he's going to make 140. The only reason I would have gone at you for the Camacho thing was because I think it's an insult to Hector Camacho. I mean, <laughs> the guy fought the guy the guy fought like over 80 fights. Uh, he's got a lot better people on his record than than Adrian Broner has. No, I agree with that. And that's one of the things that some folks were upset about. And I did point that out. I was like, look, that's not what I was talking about. I was just talking about the aura of what Broner does. Everybody always says, hey, how does this guy continue to get fights? How is he getting even big fights? At that time, Pacquiao was a major big fight. What What had he had done to get a Pacquiao fight? And what my answer was, was just like Hector, he had a mouthpiece. He was able to, he would definitely grab your imagination and he was kind of hated among a lot of hardcore boxing fans because they wanted to see the guy get shut down. Adrian Broner is in that lane. 
Definitely later in his career, like around the time when he uh, got the Deloria fight, uh, for instance, um, I, w- I would definitely agree with I would g- agree with that. But uh, look, he put up a blood and guts effort against Julio Cesar Chavez, I think, and he obviously beat uh, Ray Mancini, Pazienza, um, and people always talk about the Rosario fight, but what they don't mention is that he beat Rosario in that fight. Right, but um, it did so, change him as a fighter who it, he was, you know? It didn't change him, but he still beat Rosario, who yeah, was like no. a, a dark horse power puncher that was beating up a lot of bad dudes back in the day. Anyways, I digress. Um, you're absolutely right. Later in his career, Camacho's mouth got him the big fights. Uh, biggest example of that, Deloria. And honestly... Yeah. I think Pacquiao's uh, the Pacquiao fight was kind of like that with Broner. He right. only got that fight because of his fucking mouth. He didn't get it because <laughs> of his skill. And and that's the point you were you, which you were making, I think, and that's a point I can agree with. Uh, so let's move on to the fight on the undercard. What's on Showtime? The heavyweights between Otto Wallen and Dominic Brazil. Uh, Wallen going out there and just having a masterful performance over Dominic Brazil, who was an ex-football player, not a real fighter, uh, boxer, didn't go into the sport, uh, started really late. Um, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, I thought everybody, I think everybody was in line thinking that Otto was going to go out there and stop him, Dominic Brazil. Uh, but instead, um, you know, Dominic showed a little bit more grit than we were thinking he was going to have, excuse me, have, because he got knocked out Uh before that, getting in this match, he got knocked out by uh, Deontay Wilder. Well, I wasn't expecting Kaufman necessarily to knock him out. Oh, sorry, not Kaufman. I was going to say um, Wally. Um, I mean, the, the fact that he beat up Kaufman and knocked him out didn't really mean that much to me because right. if anyone remembers the condition that Travis Kaufman was in for that fight, I think a lot of people would have knocked him out. Right. And, you know, he's actually gone the distance with a few heavyweights. Uh, and I'm speaking about Waleen right now. And, you know, Dominic Brazil, though, what he showed me is that he just has lost not one step, but maybe two or three, David, because I'm talking about his reflexes. Right? I'm talking about his timing. Um, I'm talking about his speed. He didn't even have a lot of that to begin with, but. It was literally like watching Frankenstein in there, man. And <laughs> at what point is he going to learn that when you throw a jab, you got to bring the jab back up high? I mean, he's 35 years old. He's got I don't know how many fights off the top of my head. I don't have his record out in front of me. And he's still throwing a lazy jab and bringing it back to his waist. Seriously. Hmm. I mean, if I was going to work on one thing with him up in Summit, at the summit in Big Bear, if I if I'm um, uh, able, it's it's throwing a straight jab and bringing it back up high to defend yourself, man. I mean, if I, I feel like that is one of the biggest deficiencies in his game because he gets hit with so many clean shots after throwing punches, especially the jab. Um, you know, there was a time when I almost thought that that Dominic Brazil was like an even slower Joe Joyce. I even think that is is problematic because he's way slower than Joe Joyce. Yes, he is. Punches to Joe Joyce and has nowhere near the chin or the cardio that Joy Joyce has. I mean, Joe Joyce would absolutely destroy Dominic Brazil right now if they were fought. I mean, it would be a, a brutal fight. 
Because I don't think he's got the one-punch KO power that Wilder does to get him right out of there. No. It would just be a, a beatdown for, like, multiple rounds uh, that would – I don't even want to describe the ending of that fight. It would just be really bad. I like what Run is proposing. He said um, – and I'll put this up there really quick up uh, on the screen here. Um, he said, uh, I would have liked to see a tournament between Seth Mitchell, Dominic Brazil, and Gerald um, Washington – uh, that's actually not a bad idea, you know. Um, I don't know how exciting it would be. It could be some dull fights there, or it could be some exciting fights. All pretty much all the, across the board, uh, you would say they got they all kind of married each other. I mean, I've got a, I've got a fight for you. Why don't we just go call up Jamil McCline? Oh him wow! Week. Yeah, I mean, at this stage, literally, I don't really think there's much difference. I, I see. <laughs> I was just bragging on Brian Custer earlier for saying this type of shit. I just, I just don't think it's appropriate to say that type of shit right after the motherfucker loses a fight, right? Right. But I'm saying it right now after a few days. Like, we need to just, like, retire Dominique Brazil uh, from any kind of, like, major heavyweight boxing. You know, if they want to bring out Michael Grant, who's probably about 50. Oh, man. McClellan, like, 52. Don't um, give them ideas. Probably, Don't give them ideas. Probably, bro, I'm just telling you, they probably have the same level of speed and punch resistance as Brazil does at this stage in his career. Um, it's pretty bad. It is. It, it really, really, really is. Um, I, don't, I don't know where he goes from here. Obviously, there's a lot of... Uh, God, there's a lot of heavyweights you could pick through this. The crop is is pretty thick, you know. Um, but I think it's fair to say that Dominic Brazil should probably hang it up. If not, he is a journeyman. Um, that's always going to be. But you know, as slow as he looked and predictable, uh, it's it's another KO waiting to happen. So I know some of the guys were in the chat room saying uh, Luis Ortiz. Uh, no, I don't want to see that. Uh, that's just another KO reel, and for no reason at. At all. Okay, let's move on to the ESPN card. Um, and then we'll definitely go into our picks for this weekend. Big weekend on Saturday. As we all know, we got Canelo Alvarez's return back in the ring. He's got a, what, three, four fight deal for this whole year. So a lot of great stuff. Um, well, I'm just glad G-Funky's in the chat because G-Funky and me were like only the two guys on YouTube picking Valdez. So That's true. Big up to you know, I got to give myself a pat on the back. Uh, we we called that one. No, obviously I'm joking. I had I had to winning the fight. Big up D Funky. Big you up D. D Funky's okay, been he's actually been on a really good streak. G Funky here. That's why he's all big headed. I call him up. I, when I call him, it sounds like it's, there's like an echo in the background because his whole head's so big right now for the streak of wins. He's got like, he got, you know, Teofimo Lopez win. I mean, you know, <laughs> G-Funk is on cloud nine right now. He's he's not on cloud nine. He's riding the cloud nine at this moment. If anybody needs a bookie, a handicap there, call up G-Funky. G-Funky needs to start his own, uh, you know, betting site and stuff because G-Funk has been on point. Got to give it to him, man. <laughs> he even had Gabriel Flores. I think, if I'm right, I think he did pick uh, Gabriel Flores to win this fight, which we're going to talk about in Las Vegas in the bubble, which which is and which uh, has been reported is the last uh, bubble show for top rank at ESPN. They're going to move on now with some audience uh, in attendance. That's the that's the hope and the plan. There, uh, Gabriel Flores Jr. 
stepping up with Jason Valles. Valles' uh, resume speaks for itself. Uh, he's a proven warrior. He's a proven journeyman. He's a gatekeeper. Whatever you want to call him, that's exactly what he is, okay? Um, this was, for my opinion, a big major test as well as Josh Kelly. The difference is, though, Gable Flores passed the test, all right? He went out there. Now, in the first couple of rounds, I don't know about you, Mokar. I don't know about you guys in the chat room. On the bicycle, just a little too much for me. Um, I was just like, hey, when is he going to sit down? Because I thought what was going to happen was going to lead into him having a shutout. And then these answers are not being answered, which is one was is does his man strength finally kick in? Are we ever going to see him grow into this fighter that we've been hoping? We know he had the skill. We know he has the, the IQ uh, to be in the ring in front of a lot of guys. We know that he's quick. Uh, we know he can place his punches at the right spots of his opponents. But we, we didn't know, Milkar, did he really carry the power to change things around? Now, he's done it in the past with lesser foes, but those guys were not really proven as big as Valez was. And guess what? He went out there. Valez was landing that right hand, which was over the left of, of Gable Flores Jr. That's something they got to go back to the drawing board and correct because everybody else saw that and they're going to capitalize on that if Gable Flores doesn't fix it. But the way he fixed it, though, Mokar was stepping in with a big punch, which stopped and ended uh, Jason Valez. Jason Valez were, were gone. They were shot. You can see he was distorted. He wasn't there anymore. And Gabriel Flores passed the test with a big, big, big A+. Yeah, absolutely B, uh, A+, plus, uh, Dave. What I am going to say about the bubble real quick, though, is like, why have a bubble if uh, a guy's going to test positive um, in the bubble, which is what happened? We've got a call coming in. And I am going to answer it right now. Uh-oh. Uh, give me a second. Shit. IBT, I, I agree. I wish there would have been fans there at the bubble, but unfortunately, uh, there wasn't. But, but though, I tell you what. Um, I was able to watch it in my game room on our big TV, and I was happy that my sons and my wife were like, hey, we're going to want to watch this with you because my boys had heard about the fight. They were really excited. So I did have that kind of crowd feel uh, when the fight did happen and those big punches were landing. Everybody in the room were going like, ooh, or ah, like, oh, shit. You know, so that was great. We've got a baby on the line, apparently. Sorry about that. Hello, 916, you're on live. Oh shit! You hear the echo? You hear the echo? You hear the echo from this battle right here? <laughs> What's going on, G Punk? <laughs> oh, that's good, man. Hey, Mickey, jump, hey, Mickey, jump! <laughs> oh, I know you were feeling good, and you're tweeting out. I could see that. You know what's crazy? As soon as that happened, with the. Uh, even with Flores and Valdez, especially with Valdez, though, as soon as that happened, I saw the I saw uh, 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 G Funky's tweet, and I said I could picture it in my head. This fucker's got a smile from ear to ear. Okay, and I guarantee. Tell me if I'm wrong here, G Funky. I will guarantee you. You were pacing all around, and probably where you were watching it, you couldn't sit down because you were that excited. Well, I tell you this: after the first three rounds, I was feeling pretty good. I'm like, okay. 
he's boxing well, he's hitting, and he's not getting hit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what I'm seeing here. Man, that fourth round happened, man. He rocked him, and the dude looked like he was on bandy legs for the rest of the round. Boy, let me tell you, I jumped up out of my seat then because I thought I was like, hell yeah, he's going to end it right now. I'm going to win my bet and everything. And, uh, you know, credit to Burchelt, man. That's a tough dude, man. I don't know how he was able to stand up because he took some hellacious shots after he was badly hurt like that. Um, for me, you know, I think he probably kind of grabbed his legs back right around maybe like midway through the sixth into the seventh. Um, for me, I kind of knew that the fight was over around round eight. Once I seen Valdez switch to Southpaw and he was still having great success, I was like, okay, now he's just playing with this dude, you know? And um, the knockout came almost like I kind of told a lot of these guys, man. I was telling them, man, he comes in, swings away, hands down, chin up in the air, and uh, it was good night. You know, Funk, it's funny that you mentioned that because when he switched Southpaw, my mind was taken to me to him saying, this is why I made the Olympics twice. Because apparently that was like a big theme between the two of them. Burchell wanted to prove that he should have made the Olympic team. And you could just see the gaps in not just boxing skill, but boxing IQ uh, throughout the entire fight. And G-Funky, you were absolutely right. Absolutely right. I was absolutely wrong. I felt that his size would make the difference. And I didn't think uh, Valdez's punching power would carry up to 130 pounds and boy was i wrong bro i was totally wrong well i'll tell you this um that that after that that knockdown you know uh, valdez uh did tend to kind of like retreat back and i had said on 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 last week's show was that valdez has the tendency of walking himself back uh and quartering himself we started seeing that you know um my son, who was sitting next to me, my youngest, turned over and he's like, Dad, what is he doing? Why is he doing that? I mean, why is he not jumping all over this guy and the, the, the round after? And I said, sometimes what happens, though, with fighters is after they drop them, uh, mentally they check out because they think the fight is over. It almost looked like that was the deal with Valdez. It looked like mentally he checked out because he wasn't fighting the same. Everything was coming off of his jab, which I said on last week's show, he needed. He needed to have that jab against Barchet because Barchet walks in. Um you know, the, the thing, though, I think that stands out for me with Valdez is that he checked out, but then he checked back in. He did realize, with his, in his corner, Eddie Reynoso gave him props for doing a great job. They told him, you need to go back what to what was working. And that's exactly what he did. Because for a moment, guys, I tweeted this out. I said, this is starting to look like Antonio Margarito versus Miguel Cotto. Miguel Cotto was winning those early rounds and looking fantastic. And then Margarito started walking him down. It looked like Barchetz was walking down Valdez. But then Valdez kicked back another gear, dug deep inside of him, realizing, you know what? I could be losing this fight. And no, how, no matter how tired I am, I need to step it up. And that's exactly what he did. And, it, it, you know, it, it, it ended up paying off in a big way for him. Uh, yeah, man. Um, you know what kind of reminded me of is this. Um, remember Maravilla Martinez, you know, he would come out and get quick starts on guys, and then usually around midway through the fight, take a couple of rounds off, and then you see him pick it back up again around round nine or ten, something like yeah. that, and then walk away with the fight. I was kind of reminiscent of that, you know. I felt like he took some rounds off to kind of say, okay, you know, let me, uh, you know, kick, wait for my second win to kick in. And then I'm going to turn it up on this dude. And um, that's that's what I thought happened there, man. Um, for yep. Shelf, you know, I hope that he's going to be all right. 
you know, that was a little scary. I'm not gonna it lie. was. Uh, a lot of people were concerned, but uh, everything seems to be okay. Um, I think, man, the best thing for him to do right now is just he needs to just go straight to 135. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people tweeting out pictures of how ripped and cut up his body was at the weigh-in, but to me, he just did not look good. He looked emaciated. Um, yeah, and I mean, shoot, as soon as he got off that scale, he looked slower, didn't he? Water, you know, and eating peaches. Well, we got to talk, talk about. We got to talk about Peachgate. <laughs> we got to talk about Peachgate, though, G Funky. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hey, I hey, I don't I don't want to you know start anything, but I heard that the poncho that he came in outweighed his legs, uh, so his legs were underneath them was too heavy for him, um, you know. And I heard I heard the music was spiked that it was originally supposed to be Los Broncos that he was supposed to come out as the ring walk, but then they put some Spanish rap that screwed him up. It spiked his ears, so he just wasn't the same anymore, G Funky. So in all honesty. That fight doesn't count. That win, that stoppage doesn't count, unfortunately. There's also, oh, the, uh, there's also the bad elotes that he was giving. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, man, the, the, the new trend now is hashtag GaldoGate2021. <laughs> oh, man. Really quick, before we let you go here on, on Leaving the Ring here, G-Funky, give us your pick. And also, a shout-out to... Uh, to uh, Philly Iris uh, Drew, Drew. Uh, he also p- had that pick. He picked uh, Valdez to win as well. Got to give him big ups as well. You know, he was smiling ear to ear. And like he said right now in the chat room, he's like, damn, I got to start betting. You absolutely do, bro. You know, I know if I'm going to start. You know what? I've been wanting to start betting. I'm about to call either one of you guys because you guys have been on a crazy, on a crazy freaking uh, um, streak on, on picking fights. But really quick, uh, your picks for this weekend, bro. Who do you got? Well, for the Canelo fight, I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a pretty hold good on. one. Hold, 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 hold on. Hold on. Okay, go ahead. Oh, okay, yeah. I was going to say for, for Canelo, I mean, that's a pretty easy fight, man. Um, you know, I don't there honestly, I don't know a guy who just lost a fight, uh, been knocked out in his last fight, becomes a mandatory in, in a sanctioning body, but, you know, we we got it. Um but I'm going to say this, man. I think Canelo's going to go in there, play around with this dude a little bit, you know, play with his food. And then um, I think by round seven, he's out of there, man. So I'm predicting a round seven knockout in that one. Ooh, round seven. That's not that's not a bad prediction there, you know. I'm going to have to write that it's one down. Not, it's not a bad prediction, especially when you factor in that uh, Eubank Jr. knocked him out. And Eubank Jr. is not even a natural uh, 100 – and a 68-pounder either. He's pretty much yeah. a 160 guy. And that was in the um, uh, World Super Series uh, boxing. He was able who, to get that win. Who, who is it? Is he trained by Yoel Diaz, though, though now? Yes, he is. Who, right? Jo- that's Joel Diaz. Yoel, Yoel's been saying it like he's been improving a lot. So, Which we'll get into. We'll, de- we'll definitely, definitely get into that, you know. But... um. Hey, G-Funky, thanks for calling in, brother. Really appreciate it, man. And I'll uh, be jumping over when you guys are on tonight as well. Yeah, big show tonight yeah, on HCP. You want to give us a little preview there, G-Funky? I'll be with you. Absolutely, man. Well, tonight, 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific. Uh, you guys can check us out here on YouTube, B-Style Boxing. We'll have the Hispanics Causing Panic podcast. We'll have live with us uh, Gabe Flores off his big win this Saturday. And um, and then we'll also be joined by Tiafimo Senior. So and it's going to be a great show, man. But don't don't forget this: it's the most important part of the show. 
Eastside will be taking a pie to the face for betting on Alacran Burchell. <laughs> so you don't want to miss that. Nah, no, we don't want to miss that. That's for sure. <laughs> but thank you guys for taking my call, man. And, no, uh, claro. You know, Gracias, I'll be I'm listening, man. Okay, bro. Thank you, guys. All right, brother. Thank you. I, 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 it was hard for me to hear him because of the echo, you know? <laughs> We've got quite a little bit of interest in uh, in Parker versus Fa. Oh, we got a lot of fights to talk about before we start jumping into those ones, though, first. Let's yeah. go down the list. Well, first off, let's talk about Valdez and Barchette. Uh, oh, of course. Let's, let's just give our take about it. Um, it was a great performance. Um, I, I go back again. You know, Valdez went out there. Uh, he had the perfect game plan. Um, I said a lot of things last week that he needed to do, and guess what? They did it, okay? Uh, Eddie Reynoso, I had said, look, if he could get this win, then we start putting him in those talks. You know, I didn't know if he was more, more uh, Virgil Hunter than Eddie Reynoso, meaning that, you know, Virgil Hunter looked, looked great training Andy Ward. But when he started getting a hold of a lot of other fighters, we kind of started to see what kind of a real trainer he was, okay? But with Eddie Reynoso's case, he's a very intelligent guy. He sees things very quick. He translates it to his fighter, and they try to make the adjustments, okay? Valdez is the guy that goes out there... And and he's able to make those uh, adjustments and do the things he's supposed to do. He was doing it. He was looking phenomenal as rounds. But it did look like it started to turn. The table started to switch when Barchet started to walk him down a bit. And I think it was because Valdez really kind of emptied out the tank there, uh, Amilcar. But then what happened was he went back in that pep talk with Eddie Reynoso telling him, you need to go back to what's working. Because he did hurt him uh, earlier, later on after being knocked down, Barchet. He didn't hurt him on in those other uh, later rounds stuff and Valdez went out there and when he was retreating and he saw that Barchette and notice this this is what they caught and this is what Valdez saw immediately when Barchette every single last 10 seconds of the round he was trying to steal it by throwing a barrage of punches Valdez capitalized on that seeing that he was just letting his hands go and not even looking for the target. He was hoping to hit a target. And it was Valdez that was bullseye on the target. Yeah, I mean, he was bullseye on the target. And unfortunately, Burchelt was treating Valdez as if Valdez didn't have any punching power at all. And Valdez clearly can pop. And... What I think, though, is even more impressive than his punching powers is punching accuracy. Oh, I know. Scary. Very scary. And Burchell was just not giving him any difficulty in terms of finding the target. Very limited movement. I felt he did follow kind of probably the game plan early on in round one. You saw him come out. He was fainting a lot, trying to move his head at least a little bit. But by round two, he totally abandoned that. And... You know, he just started getting tagged with clean shot after clean shot. And as the rounds progressed and the minutes progressed, Valdez just kept finding the target even easier to the point where he was able to land with power and dropped him in the fourth badly. And from then on, uh, it was just absolutely a total domination. And I felt that his corner really should have stopped the fight a lot earlier. Oh, earlier. man. You know, that was really bad corner work really bad corner work it was terrible and you know what it, every every trainer and corner hopes that you know you know you got you know your guy personally cuz you're with him you're there in training camp okay you're seeing him in and out of sparring how he works out uh, a trainer knows how much to push the body of his fighter um 
He knows the limitations that his fighter has. But sometimes, you know, a trainer can also have that stumbling moment here at Milcar. And sometimes those stumbling moments can cost the fighter their life or their whole career. They had that stumbling moment. They had that, oh shit, this, I cannot believe this is happening. Because they bought into the factor that Barchet's a bigger guy. Uh, he's a volume puncher, uh, and he's going to walk down this guy. I think what the reason they held on to the, to the fact of letting him continue, even though his legs would look like, you know, from a Disney movie, Bambi, was because they hoped, and they probably got a little bit even more hope out of Valdez kind of gassing out and walking himself back and Barchet throwing some punches. But the thing was, is Bar- Barchet, the, the, those punches, there was really not a lot of steam off of them. You know, those were more arm punches but the evidence should have been when he got hurt again when you see when you saw his legs get rocked again and he walked back to his quarter you could clearly see that he didn't know where he was at it was almost a reminisce of victor ortiz getting knocked knocked down by uh uh chito madonna when they these both these men walk into their corners you could see that they had no idea where they were at and i think that's what had been the experience for a corner to look in the eyes of their fighter and say you know what we need to call it off and they did it. Well, yeah. And the other thing, too, Dave, is there's a big difference between asking your fighter to do more push-ups or getting him to do his max or more on the pull-up bar or in a wind sprint and having them take more and more, like, devastatingly dangerous punches, power punches to the head. Right. I mean, you know, it's not like he's asking him to do another 100 meters on the track. Like, no, you're asking him to go out round after round and get his head bashed in. I mean, I, it was just not good corner work, dangerous corner work. It was irresponsible corner work. Uh, and it's the kind of corner work that I think should make Burchell and any other fighter really question whether that's the team that, that should be uh, protecting a fighter, uh, let alone um, getting paid off of the backs of them. Yeah, that's definitely something they have to go back and look at. Um Management of Barcha and uh, him, even himself, the fighter himself is going to have to look really deep in themselves. And the trainer themselves has got to live with this. Uh, there is a strong possibility that Barcha may not come back the same again. Uh, he may not be the same guy, unfortunately, no. because of that. Sorry, go ahead, Dave. No, go ahead. I was just going to say the problem with G-Funky's suggestion about 135 is that the guys at 135 are a lot bigger. He's not going to be able to impose himself physically over them like he could against guys at 130, many of whom, like Valdez, had moved up from lower weight classes. But they're also guys that are going to hit a lot harder. And again, in the first round, I saw him fainting. I saw him doing stuff that I felt he had improved on, which was like jabbing or mm-hmm. throwing a quick two and then taking a, a step or two back really quickly. <laughs> Uh, that's something that uh, Nacho Beristain really did a great job of of, of uh, uh, working on with with um, uh, Juan Manuel Marquez, which was just not standing there and like admiring your work, but throwing a punch, a jab, and then half step back, half st- uh, two steps back, and then boom, boom, right back uh, again with another uh, one-two or combination. I kind of saw him trying to do that, and I thought that that's what he was going to be able to do, but then. Again, after after the first round, it's like that was just abandoned. Then he's just walking uh, Valdez down with like no jab or defense or head movement or feints whatsoever, and just getting teed off on. And 
I'm sorry. You telling your fighter just to throw more pun- punches is not the advice that he needs to be getting in those type of moments. No, not yeah. even put your hands up. Yeah, you know, put your hand. It's faint. It's you know, half step back, two steps back, then come yeah. back with a quick one, two, or a jab. None of that. It was just throw more punches. You know. Uh, you know. You know this isn't isn't a technical fucking no. uh, uh, instruction, bro. No, it's not. You know, I mean, look, the punch that was landing for Valdez was his left hook. That was the money shot. It kept landing over and over. That was the shot that kept hurting him. Not yeah. once did you see Barchet make an adjustment to that. Not once did you see him cover that side up that he was getting hurt. Uh, what you saw was mas ganas, mas huevos. Which was go in there and gobble this up. Everything that Valdez had to throw at him. You know, like if it was Taco Tuesday. Guess what? There was a lot. There was way more spice and chili on that taco than, than Barchet and his team wanted. Because the smoke happened when he got dropped and he couldn't get back up anymore. I was talking to D-Style, I think it was the day after the fight. Because we had both picked um, Barchet. And my, my mind took me back to the uh, fight with Ryan Garcia, right, against Luke Campbell. And it was clear that Shane McGuigan had prepared Luke Campbell to defend against the uh, the left hook, right? To me, that was clear. The entire fight, Luke Campbell had that high, that hand high. Unfortunately for him, it opened him up later on in the fight to getting hit to the body once he lost his legs and wasn't moving away from the shots, right? But... At the end of the day, Luke Campbell was prepared for the left hook. He was circling away from it. He had his hand up the whole time defending it. Uh, Ryan Garcia had to go into the toolbox and do different things. Right. Oh, did it look like Burchell had at all been prepared for defending the left hook? His hands weren't up, right? He he wasn't moving uh, away from the punch, circling away from it. In fact, he was moving towards it every time with his hands down. Yeah, very true. And there was no technical advice between rounds in terms of how to counter it, how to get out of the way of it, how to defend it, you know, whether it was through a, a slipping or catching and counter or anything. I mean, it was just, I was absolutely shocked by the lack of preparation in terms of defending one punch. It's essentially one punch that he was getting hit with, with power, with consistency the entire night. It was the left hook. That one punch <laughs> that they could have made a slight adjustment to, and they never did it. But anyways, let's move on from there. This is the question that I got right now. Oscar Valdez is actually the guy that beat the man to be the man, and that's where he is, okay? Uh, Shakur Stevenson was there watching the fight, being a spectator, and also was picking Barchet to win this fight. Didn't think Oscar was going to take this fight like a lot of us who have to eat crow on this, okay? Oscar Valdez right now is the ticket to go after. Uh, that's the fight people want to cast and check, all right? You got you got uh, 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 Jamal Hearing in the division. You got Tank Davis uh, in the division. And you got Shakur. Let me ask you, any of those three names right now, do they seem to be, do they, do they seem to pose a threat to Oscar Valdez, especially off the performance that we just witnessed him against Barchet? Uh, the fight I would like to see, especially if I'm, uh, a Burchelt fan, which I am, um, and a boxing fan first and foremost, is a fight with Tank Davis. Uh, mm. That is all action. Um, that is two guys going to war. That's two guys that can hit. Um, but Tank Davis is going to bring a lot of things to the table that that Burchelt uh, didn't bring. Um, Burchelt didn't use his, his height at all. Um, he, and Honestly, the punch variety was just—it was just sloppy work the whole night. 
I, I think that the Tank Davis fight would be a guaranteed blockbuster in terms of um, eyes watching it, uh, tickets, sales, and obviously uh, the fight itself. I might be in a minority on this. I don't think Shakur Stevens hasn't done anything to deserve a shot uh, at, at the title. I don't. Um, I mean, the reason he was going to get one at the Herring Frampton winner is because of the WBO's bullshit rule, which is that if you move up in weight, you can automatically contest for the title in the new weight class. You look at Shakur Stevenson's record, what has he done really to get to deserve a shot or to call for a shot at, hmm. at Aldez, Alberto well, Guevara, hmm. Gonzalez, uh, Felix Caraballo, the Toka Cad Clary? I'm sorry, man. Uh, th- these are not... These are not guys that are going to make me say, oh, wow, yeah, I got to see him fight Valdez. No. It, and, and literally at one, he, he had one title fight, okay, at 126. It was for a vacant title. He beat Joette Gonzalez. Is that, a, is that an elite guy? I, I'm sorry, he's not. Right? And then he fought Felix Carballo and, and Count Clary at 130. How does that put you in line for a title shot? It doesn't, but you know what? The word again, deserve, doesn't belong in boxing. Uh, it should be earned, which he hasn't earned it yet. But here's the That's thing right. that he does have he does have on his card. He has top rank and Bob Arum. Sometimes you don't have to earn it. You just have to have the right people to line you in that in, in a championship fight. And he's got the right backing. Uh, you know, he's got the right folks that are looking into getting him to the top. Yeah, I'd love to see the fight with Oscar Valdez and, and Shakur Stevenson. And I'll tell you why. Because they're stamping this kid as the next big thing. The next big star. The next big home uh, uh, household name. Well, the only way to find that out is for him to step up and get, you know, an Oscar Valdez. Okay? Uh, but I'm with you. I think Tank Davis is the name that should be there. But let's not forget. Tank Davis and, and Mayweather Promotions... Don't necessarily go out of the way to try to make to make the big, the best and biggest fights out there. They like to pick and kind of you know move around their pawns in the chessboard. That's going to be- benefit them completely. There's no real you know uh, urgency of trying to be the man. You know, uh, Tank tweets out more about knocking guys out rather than fighting the guys to find out if he can knock them out. My problem is I don't think they are ever ever going to meet each other. Unfortunately, I just don't think that happening. Proof is by having LRB tweet out, if we fought this guy, they would say he was too small, like the way Tank knocked out Santa Cruz. So that already immediately told me they're not interested in that fight. They're going to continue on portraying that there are these undefeated, indestructible uh, 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 fight, you know, indestructible fighter Tank can beat anybody without actually beating anybody. Well, you know, look, call me old school. Shakur has not fought anybody um, to warrant a fight like that. He just hasn't. Uh, you know, Robert Gutierrez, sorry, Roger Gutierrez has done more at, at this weight class. Um, right. And I don't even think, I don't even think that uh, Shakur Stevenson is a proven commodity, like at the box office, being a ticket sailor or a ratings guy. So I don't see why anyone should be clamoring to fight him. I mean, Tank Davis is a much bigger star and somebody I would go after if I was uh, Oscar Valdez, just personally. Um, I, there's even guys at, at 126 that he could fight, uh, who, who, who he could fight uh, moving up. But, yeah, I mean, Tevin Farmer. I mean, there's all kinds of names at 130. 
that have got that have done a lot more at 130 than than Shakur. Shakur's got had had barely like a, a meaningful fight at 130. Why does he automatically get named as a guy that uh, that a Valdez should be fighting? I hmm. I just don't see. I just don't see it. Well, I mean, you have two Olympians. Uh, one one's a pure boxer. The other one's a boxer puncher. One is being talked about from the beginning, from like Tim Bradley to Andre Ward, is that he's the next big superstar. Um, he's this, he's that. And just like you, I'm not convinced. Gets in there. I mean, look, uh, Shakur Stevenson has attached himself to other stars in either in the division or north of the division with we haven't seen him step up to those those names okay he wanted warrington warrington didn't want him warrington decided to go a different route and we saw the result of that last week okay uh i just want to see finally is this kid really the real deal and if oscar valdez who we're going to have his manager on with us here at 5 p.m uh uh the espinosas uh, maybe we ask them, is there a real chance of seeing either Tank Davis or Shakur Stevenson in the ring with their just newly crowned uh, winner, Oscar Valdez? I don't even want to ask about Shakur Stevenson. <laughs> I, mean, look, I just don't. I mean, Chris Colbert, it, to me, is more war, like has done more at 130, and I'm more excited about him. Oh, I'd love to see that fight. I'd yeah. rather see Rakimov, Rakimov get a, sh- a shot. That's another great fight. Yep. The guys who've actually done something at 130, right? He yeah. has not done anything at 130. He barely did anything at 126. I don't have anything against Shakur. I think he's fine. But to, to, to say that that he should be <laughs> one of the names that should even be on Valdez's radar to me is like crazy. I mean, what about that, uh, Xavier Martinez? Like, there's so many guys at 130. No, I agree. I definitely, definitely agree. And I think Philly agrees with you. A lot of people agree with you here in the chat room. He said, this is me watching Shakur. I was actually, I, I'm not, and you're not even kidding there, Philly. I was like, I'm done. When I, well, watching his last fight, I remember getting up and just walking away and just going, all right. I, you know what? It was like Groundhog Day. Every round was the same thing over and over and over and stuff. But no, I'm with you. Trust me. I hear you what you're saying about Shakur Stevenson. But the powers of B is the ones that are on Shakur Stevenson's side, which is Bob Aram and Top Rank. And they're going to probably push that envelope if they can. If not, I mean, look, the smart thing is to wait to see what Valdez looks again. You know, then go after him. But if they dare to be great, this is the perfect moment. Perfect moment for Shakur Stevenson to step up. But I agree with you. Chris Colbert, even Tank Davis, those guys um, should have first dibs on Oscar Valdez. To me, the path is simple, David. If you're Valdez, you just had a a big fight. You're with the WBC. It's not the IBF. They're not going to impose a mandatory right away and then strip you, right? Right. Take on a a non-mandatory fight, an optional defense, you know, where you're the A side and the other guy's the B side and you keep the biggest pot in terms of money. And, you know, fight fight a couple of those. Fight fight that, then fight a, a mandatory defense. I don't see any reason to, to just jump to a shot against Shakur Stevenson, who, because of everything you're going to be saying, is going to be demanding a lot of money anyway. So 
Yeah, I look. I'm just not sold on Shakur as a as a viable opponent for a champion right now. I'm just not. Well, yeah. I mean, hey, I agree to disagree. I think that they should make it happen, but you'll never know. Let's see what happens next. Uh, obviously, they're going to have to dig in deep. They're going to have to dig into their pockets to make even a Tank Davis. I think there's more money that's going to be asked from Tank Davis and Floyd Mayweather promotions than it would be in-house. Um, I think in-house would be the right thing first, what Bob has always shown and done before. Keep it in-house before we outsource to anybody else that's involved in the top rank. Familia. But let's move on. Let's go on to the weekend picks here on Leave the Ring. If you want to call in, you certainly can. 347-460-1773. Let's talk boxing here on Leave the Ring. Let's talk about this Friday on the zone for a, a, a super middleweight uh, fight between Daniel Scardina and Cesar Nunez. Okay. Um, it's for 12 rounds. Let me let me. I don't know if you guys even know a whole lot about Daniel Scardina. Uh, it's a guy that obviously that DAZN is trying to pump up a little bit. He's a very strong guy. Uh, Cesar uh, Nunez, the last time we saw, we've seen him a couple times televised, uh, especially he'll be remembered by getting knocked out by Edgar Balanga. Uh, he was able to take him out of there. Um, Nunez has been around. And honestly, this is by far the best name that Scardina is going to face, uh, you know, in, in terms of his career at this moment. I don't know what your thoughts about this fight here, Milkar. If you got any, let me know. What do you think? You know, I it's it's going to be an interesting fight. I don't think that the opponents are um, too far from each other in terms of experience. I think it's a good fight at this stage of their careers. And yeah, I'll be definitely watching. Um, uh, I'm gonna have to think a little bit harder about who I'm picking, but I'm 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 up for the fight. I'm fine with it. I think it's a really good fight, actually. I think it's a great step up fight for uh, Gardena. Um, look, Caesar Nunez is not. There's nothing flashy about the kid. The one thing that he does that tends to get him in trouble is he likes to lead in with his head and he keeps his head down sometimes. And he he fights with his head down and he just kind of like just throws shots. Uh, but he's a tough kid. Okay. And I don't think Scardina has the power the way Berlanga has shown by stopping uh, Cesar uh, Nunes, okay? Uh, what's, what's good for Nunes is that Scardina doesn't have the greatest footwork, okay? Um, he's also, uh, he also just throws punches just to throw punches, kind of similar to Nunes, okay? They don't set up shots. They rarely use a jab. Uh, Scardina, you would have to say, has a better jab between the two, Um and they both kind of supply, they both, I'm sorry, they both apply pressure. Uh, so I kind of see this kind of like a head-on, a fight. It might get ugly at some times. It might be tying up a little bit more than what we want. But I'm kind of expecting uh, both guys to let their hands go and both guys to put in some some work. I don't see a stoppage, but I do see all 12 rounds as the go to this fight. But I'm going to have to lean with Scardina. I think he takes it just by the jab alone. Like I said, it's a better jab. And he's the fresher out of the two, in my opinion. You know what I think about this fight, though, Dave, overall, is that I don't really see these guys becoming uh, title holders, even in this kind of watered-down era. <laughs> no. The fight is getting a, a kind of a little bit of, of shade, you know, because it's like, is this what we're paying the zone for? You know, uh, I thought we were paying the zone for, like, higher-level stuff. But 
What I think this is in terms of the zone is an opportunity for them because they're expanding their their market presence into new places. And I think they want to make sure that there's interest in different markets for boxing. So, I, you know, you've got an Italian guy on this card, obviously. Italy's a big market for them. I think they're invested in Serie A football over there. So I think that's why this fight's on the zone. And I'll watch it because I watch most boxing. But before this, this fight was announced, I didn't really know much about these two guys. I don't really know much about these two guys other than what I've seen on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And... It's difficult for me to say that I have a lot of interest in it because from what I've seen, I don't really see them being uh, a championship uh, level fighters. No, um, no. You know what this is? This is a, a foreplay for a Saturday. That's what it is. It's warming us up for Saturday night, you know, um, which on which I mean, this fight's on Friday night. OK, on the zone. Uh, really quick, let me say what's up to the folks in the chat room that joined us. Patreon, what's going on, brother? Blood, what's up, bro? How you doing? Bruce goes, Andre. Um, thanks for joining us here on Leaving Ring. If you guys want to call in, talk boxing, and put your input, you certainly can. 347-460-1773 here on uh, Leaving the Ring. But uh, yeah, I agree with you totally, man, with uh, Scardina and Nunes. It's not one of those that you're looking forward to, but if it's there, I'm going to watch it. You know, uh, but I think it is a warm up to Saturday, which on Friday, this fight's happening. But late on Friday night, uh, which you have to stay up early in the morning to watch the heavyweight fight, which is between two guys rivalry. They've known they know each other. Um, you know, uh, Joseph Parker, a loss has lost to Junior Fa, who was was back in back in the amateur days. Uh, this is a countryman fight between these two. Been looking forward for this fight. I know you've been looking forward for this fight. Uh, give me your quick breakdown of what you think. Who who needs to do what to solidify a win? I think that Joseph Parker needs to win this fight, clearly, if he wants to get back to where he was at around the time when he beat Andy Ruiz uh, and defended his title. And was considered to be one of kind of the premier heavyweights in the sport. I guess he is still a premier heavyweight, but he's no longer a champion. This rivalry dates back to when these guys were amateurs. Apparently, Junior Fa has a defeat, a win over. Um, he has two wins over over, 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 over Parker. Yeah, yeah. And this may be true, but uh, those were three or four round fights. Uh, Joseph Parker has been moved a lot better as a professional has fought around the world, um, trains and has done for some time now in Las Vegas under Kevin Barry and has access to international sparring there at a very high level. And I think that where they are in their careers right now is going to show in this fight. And I think that Parker's experience, his composure, uh, the amount of championship rounds he has under his belt are going to serve him well. He's going to use that jab as he usually does, he's going to use that footwork. Uh, he's going to land his right hand. And once he has uh, his, his guy here in trouble, then he'll start opening up with hooks and uppercuts and showing his punch variety. And unless Junior Fa lands something big, uh, mm-hmm. which he, but then Joseph Parker also has a very, very good chin. I, I don't see Joseph Parker losing this fight. I see him boxing. I see him um, using that championship experience, and I see him uh, taking uh, Junior Fa out by late stoppage or winning unanimous decision. 
good good pick there. I think we got a caller on the line. Uh, you want to pick that up there, Milcar, before I give you my breakdown? Area code 267. You're on with us. Go ahead. What's up, guys? I'm good. How's it going? Is this Philly? Philly, what's up, brother? Yeah, we can hear you loud and clear, bro. All right. Now, I want to talk, I want to come on and, like, say before, like, if anything, if we're going to hear about Secure Stevenson, I shouldn't hear nothing about Secure Stevenson unless it, he signed on to fight somebody that can actually fight. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like because, like, because all these guys are a bunch of nobodies. I know they're trying to build a kid up and everything. But they should have been put him into somebody already that had a name and everything. I agree. Like, yeah. He's weaponized to build him up more to even give him enough build up for a shot like Fadez and everything. But, but until, and then now they're hyping him up the whole, mostly at the end of the broadcast after Fadez knocked out for chill and everything. I'm like, why well, don't hear about Secure Stevenson for? I should be hearing about like maybe. The winner of Carl Sampson and Jamal Heron or Tank Davis or even Gary Russell Jr. potential opponents for him, not Secure Stevenson. Hmm. I agree with you, man. I mean, I don't think that... I don't think Shakur Stevenson should be in that line, but like I said, he's got the backings, which is Bob Arum. What was that? Because the guy's probably going to get knocked out with inside five rounds. Shakur Stevenson, you think? You don't think he lasts more than that with Oscar Valdez? Dave, I don't disagree, and I'll tell you what. He hasn't fought anybody for us to know anything. It was like yesterday when we were talking about Triple G with the shoulda, woulda, coulda. At the end of the day, when Triple G was in his prime, he wasn't fighting anybody. And now later in his career, you know, he's getting touched up by guys and people are like, whoa, if only he was younger. Well, we don't know. And it was I right. return to what you are saying yesterday. But I only bring it up because today it's like, yeah, Shakur looks great, I guess. He didn't look that great to me in his last fight against Con Clary. But even if he did, who's Con Clary? And how does that tell you anything about how we do against Valdez, who has championship-level fights against really good-level opponents? Well, I think, look, I think here's the thing, though, with uh, Shakur Stevenson. I can't believe I'm going to be defending Shakur Stevenson, first off. But contrast styles of what Barchett was to Shakur Stevenson are completely two different things. They don't have to have two different game plans to get to go after Shakur. Anybody, it's like his best fight before Canelo was probably David Lemieux and every and everything. But when he was trying, there was rumors that he was trying to pursue like a, a Floyd Mayweather fight or pursue a triple, uh, Sergio Martinez fight or a Julius Cesar Chavez Jr. fight. The thing is, there was rumors that Sergio was, was ducking Triple G. Yeah, but we discussed that yesterday, and I'm going to post the show in the chat so that people could, could sort it out. But, you know, yeah, he was chasing uh, Mayweather, who's a welterweight. And, yeah, he was chasing Ishida uh, out in Japan. and Sorry, not Ishida. He beat Ishida. He was chasing out Murata in Japan because he was a lower-level middleweight. At the end of the day... Uh, he didn't get those fights, and Martinez was not ducking him. Martinez was a 39-year-old dude on one leg that, at, like, was finished by the time of the Cotto fight. Look, we can we can uh, have another discussion about this. I'm all up for it, and I'll, I'm just going to share the link to the vid in the chat so people can 
Check out what I was saying with Hamed and with D from Speaking Mind Sports. Super uh, Triple G's got a really a really low level uh, resume, and uh, we dissected it in detail. I bring right. it up again because because of Shakur because Shakur has not fought anybody. So right because of that it's very difficult for me to say oh he do this with v- v- Valdez he do that with Valdez. Honestly, don't know. Yeah. Like, I agree with you. If you compare Triple G to other fighters, to other past middleweights, he does have nothing on them. But we can't blame we can't blame that on Triple G, like, ducking all these, like, was ducking the best fighters in this division at that time. He is kind of ducking Charlo now, in my opinion. And Andre and Billy Joe Saunders. Yeah, he is ducking those guys now because he's, he's vulnerable because I believe – Triple G's more vulnerable now than he's ever been. Right. Even the Dovachenko fight, I thought when I thought Dovachenko won the, the fight for like five rounds, he's been more vulnerable. And he hasn't really fought a legitimate fighter since Dovachenko. But like, when we get to secure Stevenson, he hasn't fought nobody. Like, nobody. They, they, Not, they, yep, you know, nobody. Right. Like, promoting them outright. I think they're doing the making the biggest mistake in not was not putting him against anybody that has a name at all. You know, it's funny. It's funny, Philly. It's funny because people thought that Vargas was moved way too quick before he fought Trinidad, right? Right. Vargas he fought uh, Yuri Borcampus, right? You know, and he also fought uh, Ike Cortez before that. Absolutely, like, like Shakur has no one like that on his resume. I mean, not even close. Absolutely nobody. And yeah, Nando's bringing up a great point. Triple G ducked the fuck out of Devonchenko. In fact, right. he dropped his title so that he wouldn't fight him, and ended up fighting Vaness instead, and only fought Vaness because he was trying to cherry pick a very young and green Jaime Munguia, which the Vegas uh, Nevada Commission wouldn't wouldn't uh, sign off on. So, you know, Triple G's been been ducking people for a while too. Like, look. Well, yes, that's why we end up getting Matarosian. You know, uh, remember this: they wanted Jaime Murguia. Jaime Murguia's people didn't want to make it happen for the reason that Shakur, he's not proven yet. So he moved on, and they got uh, they they that's when they got uh, Matarosian. Fifteen fights under himself. He's a he's a he's an undisputed. We can call him undisputed right now. 135 champion in 16 fights. They tend to hold the guys that don't really have the knockout power back more and, like, set, like, you know, protect them a lot more than these guys who actually knock people out and everything. They, go, they, they, can, get, they can be more exciting for championship fights right away than a secure Stevenson, in my opinion. Like, like I don't think he beats Oscar by this secure Stevenson. I, because Oscar Tabadez isn't like a normal Mexican fighter. This guy can really box. And like before I even picked that fight a week ago, I watched I watched Oscar Tabadez fight a couple of times, and I, and I watched a couple of fights of Porchero, and that's how I picked Oscar Tabadez was going to knock him out. And, ten, and I said in 10 rounds he was going to knock him out. And the reason why is because he was going to explore that, that left hook and he was going to be able to, to go angles with Barcello the whole time because Barcello, the only thing he's going to do is keep throwing punches. He's not a good defensive fighter. His 
defense is most likely his offense. Right. Really quick, man, because we got to get moving on here on Leaving the Ring, bro. Give me your pick for this weekend and what do you got and uh, what round? Like, the thing is, he's always had the same weakness. And if he comes up with the same weakness, maybe it's time to switch teams because they haven't really done anything for you to improve your weakness and make them get you a better defense. Right. Okay, so really quick, man, give us your weekend pick here on Leaving the Ring and uh, we got to get going. Like with Baez and like yes, with, with, no, with uh, Canelo and um, well, whoever you want. You you got Joseph Parker and Junior Fa and uh, Canelo and it's Mayweather Promotions. I don't think Mayweather Promotions is going to work with Top Rank, and especially it's a huge threat to Tank Davis because it's a guy that can really box and make Tank look bad. And I said I I don't. I think they want to match up Tank with guys that are like knockout punchers too that will stand right there with Tank and go toe to toe with Tank. I don't think uh, I don't think Philly can hear me here. A um, <laughs> milk car. Hey Philly, thanks for calling in, bro. Really appreciate it. Take care, bro. Thanks for the call. Um, thanks, Philly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think he could because he, he was responding to a lot of what you were saying. But, I, so. I know. I keep asking him for his picks, and he keep going back to the old the conversation that's before. He, but that's what he wanted, <laughs> that's what he wanted to talk about. Yeah, he watched anything else. I know. I know. Uh, okay, we got to. Yeah, we, so we got, I, I, have to be, I have to be gone in the next few minutes, Dave. Just a reminder. All okay. Right, well, that, I got. That, so let me go on here with uh, Junior Fall and. Uh, and uh, Joseph Parker here. This is what I look at, okay? One thing is that, you know, what we saw from Junior Fall is he can be outboxed. Usyk outboxed him in the World Series, uh, boxing series. Um, Dominic Gwynn was able to drop him and hurt him and got him out of there. Um, I just don't see that he can do a whole lot, you know. I, I, I The only way that I see that he can probably get off on... Parker is if Parker walks himself back and decides to quarter himself because what I've seen of Junior Fall, he does really put his punches together, but you have to be pretty much stationary uh, against him. And I just don't see Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker has a better jab, better footwork. He's had better oppositions in there. He's a proven guy. Um, he's gone the distance. This is there's a lot to ask for Junior uh, Fall in this fight, so I, I think that Joseph Parker actually gets him out of there within six rounds. To tell you the truth, yeah, like I said, mid to late round stoppage uh, at worst. Um, uh, also, Philly saying he couldn't hear you. At worst, Dave, yeah. I see it as a uh, as a decision victory, and that's if Junior Fall's uh, chin holds up. Right, like I said, Dominic Quinn. Um, so Quinn, that's a yeah. blast from the past, bro. I remember right. watching him when I was in high school on fucking ESPN. Friday right, night. right. And Dominic Gunn was able to hurt him and drop him. Granted that Junior Fall uh, dominated the, the the rounds after, but I'm thinking if Dominic Gwynn can hurt you, I mean, Joseph Parker, who's the, you know, still, I would have to say he's still in his prime. And yeah, Philly couldn't hear me, man. I, I knew it. I knew he couldn't hear me. Uh, but anyways, uh, so yeah, I think we're on the same page there. Now, on the under, now, Moving on, 
On Saturday night, is Canelo weekend fight here. We got Canelo Alvarez back in action. But the undercard, which is Julio Cesar Martinez, I know you're big up on him. I'm big up on him. But he's actually facing a guy that's uh, to me, could cause a lot of problems in McWilliams or Ruh. What do you think about this fight, man? I've been impressed with McWilliams Arroyo since he was an amateur fighting for Puerto Rico. This is a really good fighter. Um, and I think it's going to be a really good fight. And it's not going to be like Edwards out at the O2 in London where Martina was just able to, you know, literally throw caution to the wind and just throw everything at him and get him out of there. It's going to be a good fight. I expect uh, Martinez to come through uh, victorious, but he's going to have to uh, think a lot more in there. He's going to have to get around McWilliams Arroyo's jab. Uh, he's going to have to, uh, you know, block and slip punches, uh, put his shots together. Uh, he's going to have to be more cautious defensively if he's going to win this fight. And I think he's capable uh, capable of doing all of that. But I wouldn't also be shocked if uh, Arroyo... Uh, pulls out off a uh, an upset here, so I think it's going to be very good. I think so too. You know, look, uh, Martinez is an all action fighter. Okay, um, mm-hmm. the one thing that he loves to do, and he's been getting away with it a lot, is he likes to lead in with that left hook. Uh, he's notorious for it. Okay, um, he he goes to the body really well. He he swarms all over you. With Oroya, I just don't see him able to do that because I've seen Oroya. He has a good jab. Um, he'll duke it out with you. If you're willing to trade shots, he'll trade with you. But he's a smart fighter, okay? He doesn't stay in there too long for you to just jump all over him. To me, there's going to be some really big back-and-forth moments. And uh, I saw somebody in the chat room say, this is a great test, which is Jesus said. This is a good test for Martinez. I have to agree with you. But I don't think it's going to be an easy win for Martinez. I think we're going to find out a little bit more of what Martinez is made of and made out of uh, against uh, McWilliams, okay? Because well, McWilliams is going to come to fight. And McWilliams' resume alone should stand out there that, no, that to let you know that Martinez is in for a long night with, with, with McWilliams. That's if McWilliams is not done and over with, okay? Which I highly doubt, okay? But I think that I think that McWilliams can capitalize on the flaws that we've seen with Martinez where other guys haven't been able to do it. And I think the way he will capitalize and not allow Martinez to use that left hook here, Amilcar, is by jabbing. Yeah, that's essentially what I said or meant to say yeah. earlier. He's McWilliams does a really good jab. He's a good boxer. And he's going to have to use that. And he's going to have to time... Um, uh, uh, Martinez coming in and honestly the uppercut is going to be a dangerous shot if he can throw it and land it with any kind of accuracy because of just what you said Dave the leaning in to throw those hooks to the body um, right McWilliams like I said he's got a solid amateur background very um, solid uh, he's he's a seasoned boxer he's going to be giving Martinez a lot of good looks and like I said I wouldn't be surprised if pulls off an upset but i'm still leaning towards martinez in this fight i agree with you i you know the only way i see that there is an upset is that martinez comes in being just martinez and not studying what arroyo does and what he can do to him okay uh, not having the slight uh you know uh, adjustments that they're going to need against mcwilliams okay um you know 
Mick Williams, I'm pretty sure, knows that Martinez is a fast starter. But to nummify it, to slow that down, is with that jab. This is a really, to me, this is a great fight, man. It could be, it could go either way. I'm leaning towards Martinez. I just think that he's the fresher guy. He lets his hands go. It's a lot of punches that he throws from all sorts of different angles. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, Martinez. I think he does get the stoppage like in, like in the 10th or 11th round. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Um, but again, look, you look at McWilliams Arroyo's record. His losses are all to like really high level guys. Um, you know, he he was lost Ioka. He lost to Chocolatito, and he lost to a tie fighter in uh, Ruin Rogan. But you know what? They all have in common, Dave. What's they couldn't that? get him out of there. They yeah. all went the distance. They all did. He's a tough. He's a tough guy. He's a high-level boxer. I, I see him, again, being very durable, giving uh, Martinez all kinds of problems. And I'm going to say it again because I said it earlier. I would not be surprised if if he pulls it off. I wouldn't be surprised at all. The Hurricane Mexican is something else, though, man. I'm looking forward for that undercard. Um, you know, and I agree with Jesus uh, saying you know. that he's got he's got to have mo- head movement. Now let's go on to the main event here: Canelo Alvarez against Evy uh, uh, uh Dude, why do I always get stuck with this guy's last name? Um, Yildirim. 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 Okay, out of Turkey, he's got twenty-one wins. Uh, he's got two losses and only twelve KOs under his belt. He does have the. Uh, the great trainer, uh, Joel Diaz, who I have much respect for. Uh, he's the reason why Timothy Bradley is where he was at in his career. Uh, you know, look, um, I mean, I think this fight's pretty easy to break down here, okay? The one thing about Yildirim is that he needs to protect himself against uppercuts. That's the shot that that Eubanks Jr. was able to catch him, hurt him, and drop him. The only reason why he has this chance at Canelo Alvarez is because he made the fight with Anthony Durrell very competitive. It's Anthony Durrell, though, okay? Um, there was a lot of headbutts. There was cuts. The fight was stopped, um, but he was coming on. Now, he's an inside fighter, but he's one of those inside fighters there, a Mokar, that doesn't walk in with a jab. He just walks right in, Okay. Uh, he's got very heavy feet. And what I mean by that is that you can literally see him moving towards you, okay? He's not very graceful. Something that he would have to do uh, to get close to uh, Canelo Alvarez. Now, he can't afford to keep this fight on the outside. That's something that Joel Diaz knows very well. The other thing, he can't allow Canelo to get in rhythm. Once Canelo gets in that rhythm, it's going to be all over for this kid, okay? It's so difficult to look at any great aspects that Yildirim does uh, that he could capitalize against uh, Canelo. The only thing that I could suggest that he can do against Canelo is that when he is in the inside, because eventually they are going to get forehead to forehead is he makes it an ugly fight, which he does. He likes to use his head a lot. Uh, he, He will get dirty if he needs to, which I plan to see that happen to try to get in the head of Canelo Alvarez. But in overall, he doesn't have very good hand speed, no good footwork. Uh, like I said, he's heavy foot. He has heavy feet. Uh, he thumps his way to you, um, and uh, he doesn't give you any angles. He doesn't hard pit it. He doesn't do any of that. And it should really just be a tee off for Canelo Alvarez. Again, the reason why he got this, he's the mandatory, and it was really off of the Anthony Durrell fight. That's why Canelo's getting him and getting it over with. Um, honestly, I don't see him getting past five rounds with Canelo Alvarez, to tell you the truth here, Amilcar. 
I don't disagree with you. I also think the reason he's in the position he has is because he's got a pretty good manager in uh, Ahmet Olmer of Arena Box Promotions uh, out there in Turkey, or actually Germany. He's a Turkish-German promoter who uh, famously signed guys like uh, Odlanie Solis, uh, Guillermo Rigondo, and a bunch of other Cuban guys um, out of the uh, Cuban amateur system. Um, ton of Cuban boxers uh, Ahmed Olmer signed. And anyone looking for a laugh on the par with last uh, <laughs> me, Chisora, uh, after the hay, the hay fight, the brawl, actually, after uh, a, chore, a Chisora fight, might want to check out Ahmed Olmer's uh, press conference before the uh, fight with uh, Chris Eubank Jr. Uh, one of the craziest things that you'll see in terms of a manager being involved in a press conference. I actually tweeted about it earlier today. Um, but, yeah, I don't see uh, – th- that was a big uh, side – side uh, <laughs> what <do you> call <laughs> it? whatever. Uh, but I don't, I don't see Yildrim going the distance here. I think Canelo's going to handle the business and move on to a Billy Joe Saunders fight. I would be absolutely shocked if Yildrim pulled off an upset here. Uh, he's a very basic fighter, uh, almost like a poor man's Arthur Abraham, even um, in terms of. Ooh, no, uh, no. Kinda, <laughs> no, seriously, so we kind of defends himself. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're right. It's it's just not very high level stuff, and that's probably an insult to Arthur Abraham, honestly, yeah. who I think is kind of a, a you know pretty high level guy at 160, 168 uh, last few years, anyways, or decades. But uh, but yeah. I think um, he's got this fight, and I will uh, look forward to speaking you, to you about it afterwards, Dave. I got to go, as I said to you earlier, um, but I will be available at 8, and I'll look for you in an, a little over an hour if you're still online. Okay, there you go here. Uh, thanks for coming on with me, uh, Milkar. I'm just going to go on the recap here, guys, really quick. Uh, look, so going back again, uh, Junior Faw and Joseph Parker. We think he's going to get the win. The stoppage over Junior Fall should be a really good heavyweight fight when it starts off in those early rounds. Uh, uh, McWilliams, Aurora versus uh, Julio Cesar Martinez. We got Martinez taking this fight. I think it's going to be an all-out war. Possibly be the biggest test for Martinez. We'll find out whether or not Martinez is the real deal against Aurora because of his record, what McWilliams has done. Okay, Canelo Alvarez shouldn't be a really bad, a major test for him at all. I don't think it's a test at all. I think everybody is in line, even the people in the chat room and people that are not even hardcore boxing fans are going to pick Canelo Alvarez in a mid-round stoppage uh, in the 12th fight that's scheduled. Okay, guys, anybody have a great time. Don't drink and drive. We'll, we'll, be, be gone. we'll be back on in about 5 o'clock. Uh, we should have uh, Oscar Valdez manager Espinosa with us here on Leave the Ring. Again, guys, you guys all take care. Have a great, great night. This is WBA Super Middleweight Champion Andre Ward, and you're with Leave It in the Ring Radio. Hola, soy Sergio Maravilla Martínez. Estoy en Leave It in the Ring.com. Hola, soy Saúl Canelo Álvarez y estás en Leave It in the Ring Radio. And you're at Leave It in the Ring.com. Este que es Soto Caraz, el renuente. Escúcheme por Live in the Ring Radio. Hey, how's it going, guys? It's Victor Ortiz at LeaveItInTheRing.com. Live so take care, guys. How are you doing? You're with Abner Mares, and you're right here with Live It in the Ring Radio.